Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Now, this week, Human Rights Watch, which is by no stretch a radical organisation, it's a very mainstream human rights organisation, has condemned Israel for being guilty of apartheid. The occupation of Palestinian lands has gone on for decades, a brutal and illegal occupation. Uh, and we've seen, of course, the situation degenerate ever further uh, for the Palestinian people who are deprived of the right to national self-determination. So today what we're doing is we're talking to Hanan Ashrawi, who is a very prominent Palestinian politician, uh, a scholar, uh, served as a member of the leadership committee, has been an official spokesperson of the Palestinian delegation uh, to the Middle East peace process um, and served as Palestinian Authority Minister of Higher Education and Research. Uh, her her activism, her uh, her work goes back many, many decades. She was born before the foundation of Israel itself. So we're going to talk to her about the situation in Palestine and what we can do uh, for those of us who live in the West. Do support this podcast, if you can, and channel uh, on Patreon and help decide who we talk to and what issues we talk about. Or use the support function in the description. Do give us five stars um, and leave a review if you're feeling, you know just like you want to support us really uh, and also subscribe with that said please listen carefully to this it's so important to Hanan Ashwari so I'm very honoured to be joined today by Hanan Ashwari who is a a pillar of the Palestinian cause for so many decades a, a statesperson a politician a diplomat a campaigner an academic a writer you name it uh, she's been on our television screens for so, so long uh, throughout the decades and has become inextricably tied in the popular imagination with the Palestinian cause. So thank you so, so much for joining us today, Han. Thank you, Owen. It's great to be with you. So Human Rights Watch, which is uh, probably regarded as the most mainstream uh, human rights organisation uh, internationally, has issued a report directly accusing Israel uh, of apartheid. And I'd like to begin by asking what your response is to that report and also to those who are sceptical, perhaps, uh, in their response to the report which accuses Israel directly of apartheid. Well, first of all, this is not a report in isolation or in a vacuum. This is a report that comes uh, as part of an incremental process, let's say, in which international organizations and so on have been looking at the situation, documenting uh, Israeli violations, looking at the lives of Palestinians and uh, determining that this is a situation of apartheid. As you remember, it was uh, Desmond Tutu said it, he even said it was worse than apartheid. Uh, Jimmy Carter said it uh, and, and he wrote his book that said peace not apartheid and all hell broke loose. Uh, and of course, uh, Yashdin did it, uh, Beth Salem did it, the human rights organizations, and now, of course, Human Rights Watch. 
the Palestinians have been saying it's it's a displacement replacement paradigm, uh, which is what Elan Pape described it as, in which they're attempting to displace and replace a whole nation with another, with our history, our culture, our presence, uh, our land, uh, and. Uh, Everybody looked at it in Palestine as a settler colonial endeavor uh, in which um, Israel has created a system that gives all rights to Israeli Jews and no rights whatsoever to Palestinians under occupation and within Israel, what later became Israel, and uh, has gotten away with it, literally. So uh, by having mainstream organizations, as you said, come out, and openly uh, discuss the issue of uh, the crime against humanity. Although the, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, talked about uh, war crimes, uh, settlements and, and so on, uh, this is, uh, these are crimes against humanity that involve apartheid and that involve uh, repression. So both, uh, in a sense, uh, are a description of a situation in which Israel is not just in a state of occupation or permanent occupation of Palestinian land, but in a, a state of a systemic and institutionalized and even legalized uh, oppression, discrimination, repression, uh, treating uh, the Palestinians one way, uh, creating a, a situation of tremendous hardship and disenfranchisement and disempowerment for the victims of the occupation, while granting Israel as an occupying power full uh, immunity to act with impunity without any type of intervention or uh, accountability. So to me, the importance of this is that it's becoming part of the global conversation. <clears throat> it is no longer sort of taboo to describe the situation because Israel, as always, you know, blames everybody. It doesn't look at what it's doing, but it attacks those who describe what Israel is doing, including the UN and the UN Human Rights Council, and including Israeli human rights organizations and uh, global human rights organizations, by saying this is all anti-Israel, or uh, this is all anti-Semitic, or they have an anti-Israel agenda, or whatever. So uh, instead of reading the reports and taking them seriously, Israel just starts attacking and labeling and maligning anybody who dares uh, question uh, Israeli and describe, let alone question, Israeli violations in Palestine. So now it is up to the international community to see or to translate these descriptive terms, these statistical uh, issues, um, and they're clearly uh, supported by evidence. Uh, the, the situation is uh, given, is very credible because it's not just a conclusion, it is based on careful research, observation, and statistics. Uh, so now, what does the world want to do? Shall we pursue, the, will they continue granting Israel the cover, granting Israel uh, leeway, space, and time? to wreak havoc, to continue with these policies that are essentially inherently racist, exclusivist, and exclusionary? Or are they going to take action, to take steps in order to curb these, number one, to put an end to such a behavior and to hold Israel to account? But the, the dynamic cannot continue like this. And descriptive statements are not enough. 
and issuing statements of denunciation or concern or care uh, is not enough. What you need to do is take your responsibility seriously within even uh, multilateral organizations, within uh, legal and judicial uh, structures and institutions, and put an end to Israel's preferential treatment, to Israel's sense of entitlement, and it's holding captive a whole nation of Palestine and literally getting away with murder. Last week, a group of extremists from Israel uh, charged into occupied Jerusalem, uh, yelling death to Arabs, um, and attacked Palestinians. I mean, huge numbers of Palestinians were, were injured. I suppose my question is, what's the wider, I mean, horrific, a horrific event, but what's the wider significance of it? Because the Israeli authorities would wash their hands of this and say, these are extremists that have nothing to do with this. So what does that one, just one example, that one event, what's the wider significance? What does it tell us? Well, that, that one event is, is clearly symptomatic of an ongoing pattern of behavior. We've heard this statement, death to the Arabs, repeatedly. We've seen it written and, and uh, with graffiti all over people's homes and cars and so on. Uh, we've seen the settlers go on the rampage and the extremist uh, uh, settlers and the uh, militias and groups and uh, threaten whole villages and uh, particularly rural and isolated people and uh, destroy crops and beat up Palestinians and uh, uh, so on. So it, it's an ongoing and escalating pattern. They are now emboldened. Why? Because you have a, a serious shift to the extreme racist violent right because they've been given again room and space to continue because when they do these things they are never held to account they are never stopped but the israeli army uh, protects them and attacks their victims they attack palestinians when the uh, settlers and, and we call this a reign of terror when the settlers go on the rampage so the the israeli army in a sense acts uh, in coordination with the settlers and protects them even when the, they are attacking Palestinians. The army attacks the Palestinians, which is what happened in Jerusalem. Uh, now, with Netanyahu also entering into coalitions with the Kahanas, some of the most uh, uh, hateful and hate-filled uh, organizations that are outside the law, that were labeled by Israel as, uh, as you know, Meir Kahana and his group. Uh, were uh, were labeled as uh, terrorists, even the US labeled them as terrorists, but now they have been picked up and dusted off and they have been granted not just uh, uh, an audience, they have uh, participated in elections, Netanyahu supported them, encouraged them, and uh, uh, entered into an alliance with them, where they are now in the Knesset, uh, in the parliament. And uh, they are very active members of his extreme right-wing coalition. So you're seeing this shift, this total shift, the extreme right, the ideological right, the, the uh, racist uh, right, and the violent right. And it's extremely dangerous. It's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for the Palestinians everywhere under occupation and within Israel. Uh, and, uh, of course, in Jerusalem in particular, because they, they have a, a declared agenda of <coughs> ethnic cleansing, of getting rid of the Palestinians. 
uh, and they're, they're saying this is what they, they should do. I mean, those who do not uh, give uh, total allegiance to Israel have to be kicked out. And they're trying basically in Jerusalem per se, because they want Jerusalem to be an exclusively Jewish city. Now, East Jerusalem is primarily a Palestinian city, with the Palestinian culture and heritage and history. So what they're doing now is trying to transform the character of Jerusalem, trying to terrorize and intimidate the Palestinians of Jerusalem, uh, over 350,000 of them, in order to get rid of them and in order to finish the illegal annexation and transformation of uh, that city. And uh, the, you know, when, the, when this group of Kahanas uh, uh, organized, uh, decided that they're going to march into East Jerusalem through Damascus Gate, because this is where uh, the, the people who are praying in Al-Aqsa Mosque come out after prayers, especially in Ramadan, and they sit and they have programs in, the, uh, in Damascus Gate. Uh, since the beginning of Ramadan, the Israeli government decided to put up uh, these metal barricades to prevent the Palestinians after prayers from getting there and from sitting there and from having any type of presence. And that inflamed everybody because this is a direct interference in a ritual, in a Ramadan uh, ritual. And then with these uh, uh, extremist thugs, threatening this, yelling death to the Arabs, and they even had broadcasts that they're going to bring weapons with them. So the army came in, the border guards came in, and instead of preventing these uh, Israeli uh, militias from coming to uh, Damascus Gate, they tried to evacuate Damascus Gate from the Palestinians. And they, they used violence and so on. So they, they provoked another confrontation. And to the Palestinians, particularly the younger generation, this is something that strikes at the core of uh, at the core of their existence, of their identity, of their rights uh, in Jerusalem. And so, as I said, it is extremely dangerous. It is symptomatic of where things are heading, and this is the legacy also of uh, the Trump administration that emboldened these elements within Israel even further, and fascism became acceptable, and land theft became uh, civilized, and, and uh, intimidation and terrorism against the Palestinians uh, was treated with, with uh, extreme tolerance, let's put it that way. So it's very important that we place it in context, uh, Owen, and I'm glad that you asked this question. A traditional demand has been for a two-state solution, for a viable, independent Palestine uh, based on pre-1967 borders. But some would now argue that that has simply become impossible and that now the demand should be for a single state, maybe a binational state, a federal state, because of the nature of what's happened in terms of the settlements, the annexations and so on. Um, over the last few years. What would you say on that, the issue of two states versus one state? Yeah, I think this became a, a real political argument <laughs> and discussion and debate, if you will. And I keep saying, let's not get into that. Let's not talk about one state or two states. To the Palestinians, actually, accepting the two-state solution was a major compromise because historically the Palestinians always said, we said that it is all Palestine, <laughs> that 
We want one state, which is Palestine, a democratic, tolerant, pluralistic, inclusive state in which everybody can live in peace and, and harmony. Of course, that agenda in 1968 was, was uh, uh, turned down. And since then, Israel has been given free reign, has been given a free hand and encouragement, not just to annex the territory it occupied. It uh, had in, in 1948, it uh, conquered in 48, but also to continue expansion, particularly with the territory it occupied in 67. And so you ended up with the Palestinians having no control over any land uh, and even with the uh, agreements, the Declaration of Principles, or what is known as the Oslo Agreements, um, they did not uh, deal with the issue of uh, Palestinian sovereignty, of Israeli withdrawal, of dismantlement of settlements, of all the real issues that should have been dealt with. So Israel felt that it had a free hand to continue its settlement activities, since that, that is a postponed issue, to continue uh, changing the character, character of Jerusalem and uh, uh, to continue taking more land, evicting people, demolishing homes, uh, and so on, turning the Palestinians into residents of Jerusalem and then revoking their residency as part of ethnic cleansing. So they continued with, the, with their policies as a result either, either of the agreement or of being given support and encouragement by external uh, forces. So the two-state solution was something that was demanded by the international community. We were told in order to prove that we are peaceful, that we are civilized, that we uh, live within the confines of international law, we have to accept uh, uh, 242 and 338 and the two-state solution. Well, we said there are other issues. The core of the, the problem is also the refugee problem, the, the uh, total transformation of, of the, the uh, state of Palestine, the historical realities and cultural realities of Palestine, the loss and negation of human rights uh, and any type of sovereignty for Palestinians. There are many issues that are not addressed by 242338 and the two-state solution. Uh, we're not dealing just with the last piece of land that Israel conquered and uh, is, is gradually annexing, but the core, the whole issue of the establishment of the state of Israel and the price that the Palestinians paid for no fault of their own for this establishment uh, of the state and for the uh, policies and, and measures that the state adopted against the Palestinians. Now, we are being told, okay, so you accepted the two-state solution. The PLO did in 1988, as you know. Now it is not possible because let's see how much land Israel can take from the 22% remaining 22% of historical Palestine. This is ridiculous. So Israel kept expanding. Israel kept building more settlements. Nobody stopped it. Settlements are a war crime, according to the Rome Statute of the ICC. And yet it persisted. And the whole world sat back and watched Israel destroy the two-state solution, which is the, I don't say it's a global consensus. It is the preferred solution for the international community. And it is a very convenient excuse to do nothing, to just watch Israel expand and then to say, no, no, this is wrong. We are supporters. We support the two-state solution. Israel must not do this. And 
and then they pat themselves on the shoulder and say, we've done our national duty. We, we are for the two-state solution. So it became an excuse not to do anything, huh? not to adopt any other policy. And this emboldened Israel even further to get, uh, to, get to the point where when uh, during the, the uh, uh, administration of Trump, the term occupation was dropped entirely from the lexicon. Uh, Israel was allowed to annex and they recognized the annexation of Jerusalem as well as the annexation of the Golan Heights <clears throat> in violation of international law and UN resolutions and so on. So, and, and then they started, you know, labeling settlement products as made in Israel. Uh, so that they were creating facts uh, as partners in crime with Israel that would only lead to a greater Israel, not a one-state solution, but the superimposition of greater Israel over all of Palestine, all of historical Palestine. Now, if you tell me would I choose one or the other and so on, I tell you very frankly, given the current dynamic and realities on the ground, neither solution is available or is a solution. Because Israel has done everything possible to render the um, embodiment, I don't want to say creation, because we are recognized as a state by the UN and by uh, 138 uh, countries. And without having this recognition, we couldn't have gone to the ICC, for example, and we couldn't have joined many international organizations that we joined in order to protect our rights, our lands, our uh, resources, and so on. So the, that's not the argument. The argument is how do we uh, affect a system in which Israel is held accountable and its violations are curbed, and in which the Palestinians are afforded protection in order to get their rights and freedom. Hmm? That's the, the approach now. How do you do that? How do you maintain Palestinians' ability to remain on the land? The, how do we maintain the resilience? Because what we're facing daily is just horrendous. I mean, when we, we talk about a reign of terror of settlers, we talk about home demolitions, we talk about extrajudicial executions, we talk about arbitrary detentions, we talk about administrative detention without evidence, without trial. Everything, every violation you can think of is being exercised daily against the Palestinians. So this is what we have to deal with now. How do you put an end to these Israeli violations? How do you have how do you get the international community with its instruments and institutions to hold Israel to account? How do you find means of protection for the Palestinians? And then we will move ahead. But to, to end up discussing, you know, how many angels dance on the, can dance on the head of a pin or something, this is really an argument that, that is not right now within this context is not valid. What's valid to me is that we want our rights. Yes, we want all our rights, including the right to self-determination. We want to be free on our own land. Now, should people sit back and wait until there is a de facto one-state solution? Should we talk about a demographic reality that would threaten of the state? And by the way, the, the, the nation-state law that, that Israel adopted a couple of years back is one of the most racist laws <laughs> that, that you know, any nation can adopt by saying only Jews have the right to self-determination, which means 
even those who have Israeli citizens, the Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship, have no right to self-determination. Therefore, it is perfectly legitimate to discriminate against them, which is what's being done in Israel. There are, there are Israeli citizens, the Palestinians, the original Palestinians who stayed when Israel was created, and there is a system of legal, educational, financial, and so on, discrimination against them within Israel. And now they've legislated the, the nation state law that says it's okay. If you're not Jewish, you don't have full rights in, in the state of Israel. And what adds to that, which, which uh, uh, contributes to the definition of apartheid, is that the Palestinians are under a different law entirely in the West Bank and Jerusalem and Gaza. Huh? Each has a different set, each set of Palestinians has a different set of laws. The Palestinians of Jerusalem are treated as residents, but with no rights. They could easily lose their residency and therefore the right to stay in their city and so on. They don't have the right to build on their own land. Uh, the, the Israel gives itself the right to decide to uh, give or with, uh, withhold permits. Uh, what's left is 12% of the land of Jerusalem, and Israel doesn't allow Palestinians to build. So they demolish homes. And, and the same way in, in uh, the West Bank, you have areas A, B, and C, and Israel acts as if areas C are uh, Israeli territory, de facto annexed. And therefore, it doesn't uh, allow people to uh, build and doesn't allow them to uh, even till their own lands, and it transforms the whole swathes of land into uh, military maneuvers, areas for military maneuvers so that they can uh, annex them later or areas of, of uh, um, natural green areas and so on. So you do have a, a whole system of oppression and a whole system of intimidation that seeks to reorganize, whether demographically or geographically, or, uh, uh, to reorganize and to engineer a reality in which Israel can exercise full control and full sovereignty while transforming Palestinians into uh, self-enclosed Bantustans with a different set of laws, uh, of course, with no rights whatsoever, under military rule. And this military rule, where they control the entrances and the exits, the, the territory, the airspace, the uh, uh, waters, and so on, of uh, uh, Palestine, this military rule has no responsibility whatsoever, as you have seen with the vaccines, where Israel refused to uh, vaccinate the Palestinians under its control as a belligerent occupant, and said, no, 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 it's the responsibility of the Palestinian leadership to vaccinate. But you control everything, huh? and it is your responsibility by law. Instead, they uh, vaccinated all the Israelis, they had extra vaccines, so they did that with the laborers, the Palestinian laborers who work in Israel or in the settlements because they come in touch with Israelis uh, in Israel and in the settlements. And they started sending out uh, extra vaccines to countries in exchange for their moving their capital to uh, Jerusalem, their, sorry, embassy to Jerusalem. So it's, it's a real manipulation of a human situation. Now, is this the one state I want to be in? No. Do I want greater Israel? No. This is what the international community has allowed to happen. 
Now, if we go back and say, okay, no, let's all work towards a one-state solution and agree that it has to be a state for all its peoples. And if you say that in, in Israel, you're accused of treason, uh, where you say all people have to have equal rights and so on. This isn't happening and it's not available because the whole system is based on the total exclusion and oppression of the Palestinian people, regardless of where they are, and not just enabling the most extreme and racist government in, in Israel, but also making the settlers one of the instruments of Israeli power and control, not just the army and not just the government. So you have a situation here which, if allowed to run its course, is going to to generate more extremism, more violence, more racism, more hostility, and threatens not to allow any solution to happen. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Successive U.S. administrations of all stripes of both political parties have supported and armed Israel. Um, under Donald Trump, of course, there was... I suppose, a similar brand of politics between shared between Netanyahu and, and Trump himself. And obviously the US, amongst other things, supported Israel uh, officially uh, designating uh, Jerusalem as its capital. Do you see any prospects for change under the new US administration at all? Is there any hope, any optimism whatsoever? And how does that interact with the likely political composition of the Israeli government? Well, frankly speaking, not a single American administration has been even-handed or has dealt with us fairly. The strategic alliance with Israel, maintaining Israel's military edge, qualitative military edge. I'm sure you've heard, you've heard of the QME forever. Uh, the fact that there is no daylight between the U.S. and Israel, a, a refrain we've heard repeatedly. Uh, this is Israel is our very special ally and, and so on. The billions and billions, not just $3.8 billion a year that uh, go to Israeli military, uh, uh, the military arsenal of Israel, but also preferential treatment, uh, tax-free support. Uh, people even like uh, uh, Jason Greenblatt and Friedman and Trump and uh, uh, his son, uh, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, sorry, Jared Kushner, contributed to the settlements uh, and are, are complicit in war crimes. But let's say that every single American administration looked at the Palestinians only in relation to Israel. They even looked at the whole region in relation to what's good for Israel. This Israeli prism dominated 
and they felt a sense of uh, not just identification, which was clearly false, because they said we have shared values. And I kept saying, what values? I mean, occupation, oppression, killing people, uh, uh, kicking people out of their homes, and so on. Is, are these the values you want for the U.S.? They call it the only democracy in, in the region, which is extremely ironic, because to us, what Israel is doing is exactly what no uh, democratic country should do to another country. You do not have permission to enslave a whole nation and hold it captive and steal whatever they have and oppress its people systematically and systemically. So uh, <clears throat> this kind of approach, even in negotiations, was brought to bear in the relationship between the US and uh, Palestine. Uh, and we know that this was taken to an extreme by the Trump administration, because now you see uh, shared values. Now you see populism, racism, extremism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, even anti-Semitism and white supremacy, which uh, was encouraged by uh, this extremism. Uh, somehow they forged a very unholy alliance uh, along with a couple of other people in, in the world who of their ilk. And uh, they decided that they're going to reposition Israel in the region, they're going to make it a major power, they're going to normalize it, they're going to give it uh, economic advantages, and it, it should become a major political, military, uh, intelligence and economic power in, in the region. And that the Palestinian uh, issue can be dismissed by bashing the Palestinians into submission, by just removing the term occupation as though there is no occupation, by legalizing settlements as though international law doesn't exist, by totally disregarding Palestinian lives and how many Palestinians are killed or uh, cruelly imprisoned or threatened or intimidated, doesn't matter. Because we're supposed to become invisible, or as Kushner said, quoting Daniel Pipes, that the Palestinians have to accept the fact of their defeat. So we're supposed to lie down and die quietly. And I've always said we're a nation who has never been defeated. We may be under occupation. We did not wage wars, by the way. But our spirit and our will has never been broken. Have never been broken. So we, we do not see ourselves as defeated people. We do not behave as defeated people. And we said we refuse to deal with the Trump administration and its lethal uh, extremist agenda. So I, I think we're the only people who did that. <laughs> Whole countries, sovereign states succumbed to, to Trump and tried to please him and tried to play his game. Uh, and tried to, to pander to his ego and so on. We heard this from Europeans, from others. Uh, anyway, and, and of course, Arab countries. <laughs> but now, uh, now that Trump has been defeated, I, I said we, we all side gave a collective sigh of, of relief because in itself, this is important, that Trump is no longer there to make a mockery of human rights, international law and Palestinian rights, and to act uh, in concert with the Israelis, with this extremist Israeli government as partners in crime, and to encourage it and enable it. Uh, but conversely, we do not see in Biden a savior. And we know that Biden might be tempted, as he's doing, to do several things. One is to go back to the status quo ante. But the status quo ante 
is precisely what led to this fail to the these failed policies on the ground to the absence of peace, <laughs> to Israeli uh, empowerment, to Israeli excesses and uh, violence. Uh, had you had an even-handed policy, you may have been able to achieve peace. But the absence of peace is a result of the Israeli-American alliance, in which the Palestinians were treated as, I don't want to say subhuman species, which is how Israel treats us, but as third, fourth-class human beings. And that, uh, in a sense, uh, how to deliver the Palestinians to Israel uh, has uh, undermined America's ability to play a constructive role. Now, if you want to go back to that situation where you say, well, I'm for a two-state solution, and if Israel builds settlements, no, 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 you shouldn't do that, naughty, naughty, or, or uh, there are some red lines, or that there are some settlements that you can annex, or uh, we don't know what to do with Jerusalem. No. If you adopt a policy that is clear, that is consistent with international law, and that recognizes the Palestinians as equal with rights, then you might change. But if you go back to this, you know, the placebo thing for the Palestinians, or pressure and threats and blackmail, on the Palestinians, while rewards and positive inducements and so on, advanced payments for Israel. No, that, that's not going to work because you're only encouraging uh, lawlessness and impunity. So we, the first thing that, that he needs to do is not just, Biden, is not just stop the policies of uh, Trump and, and throw that Trump plan into the garbage can where it really belongs. But he should start undoing the realities that Trump has created. Now, he started with the funding, with the finance. Okay, uh, UNRWA was targeted, refugees were targeted by Trump. Now he's slowly restoring some funding for UNRWA, not all, but some, which is crucial, at least from a humanitarian point of view, but from also a legal point of view, uh, as per the obligations of the international community that set up UNRWA. Uh, to take care of ref refugees, started the, you know, restoring some funding for infrastructure and so on. But there have always been, there have also been resolutions by Congress that are really horrendous and very draconian to tie the hands of anybody uh, who wants to undo this, particularly when it comes to funding. When, I don't want to go into the Taylor Force Act or ACTA, uh, ATCA or any of these. Uh, 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 legislation uh, attempts by Congress in order to maintain Israel's control superiority and to maintain Palestine's vulnerability and it's uh, being open to uh, um, accountability by the US political, uh, legal system. That's another issue. But now what we need is to start, as I said, a new legal, a new discussion, a strategic discussion with the Palestinians. If you can see us as a counterpart with equal rights to Israel, then let's start talking. Don't act as an Israeli agent trying to extract concessions from the Palestinians on behalf of Israel. Israel has tried through, through violence, through uh, oppression, through killing and, and home demolitions and so on to make us surrender, and we didn't. And you cannot start acting nicely and saying, if only you do that, if you change your textbooks, if you do not uh, uh, support uh, your prisoners' families and so on. 
and they adopted the Israeli definition of terrorism, which is certainly is not the American definition of terrorism. And to us, what we see is state terrorism by Israel. So um, th there has to be a shift. And now that Palestine is part of the discourse in the US, and part of, uh, th there's a whole network of solidarity, which is really encouraging and empowering. Within the Democratic Party, there's a progressive faction that understands the reality of the situation and Palestinian uh, rights. Uh, but you also have the, the uh, democratic majority for Israel, or uh, I think so, uh, in, in uh, the Democratic Party that wants to go back and to make the same mistakes over and over again and maintain Israel's impunity and Palestinian vulnerability. This is very dangerous because these policies are doomed to failure the way the previous uh, the policies uh, failed and led to this drastic situation. Finally, and it touches on what you just said there about the solidarity that exists within, I suppose, a new left within the United States and the Democrats. Um, what would you say to those, just finally, uh, who wish to organize in support of the Palestinian people, not just to show their solidarity, but to put pressure on their respective governments to change tack. What would your advice be, whether it be in Britain or in other in, in European nations, within those with, remaining within the European Union or within the United States? What's your advice to them? First of all, is not to be intimidated. It's very important that... Uh, uh, these solidarity groups and groups who share the same uh, values and attitudes and objectives that we have in terms of human rights, in terms of uh, anti-colonial uh, 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 struggle, in terms of uh, uh, anti-racism and so on. That These are the people who are speaking out and we are part, as I said, of this conversation, of this collective, if you will, globally. It's not just in the US, it is also in Europe, it is in uh, the UK and so uh, places in the UK like North Ireland and, and Scotland and so on were the, way ahead of the curve in, in that sense. Uh, and, and there are other places in uh, the US. It's important that these people not succumb to the uh, attempts at labeling them as anti-Semitic because right now there's a massive campaign funded by Israel everywhere to label anybody who criticizes Israel as being anti-Semitic. This conflation of criticism with Israel as a state that is acting with full criminality and lawlessness, that if you criticize this then you are anti-Semitic. This is entirely untrue and misleading and is a tool for silencing criticism. To the adoption of the IHRA uh, definition of anti-Semitism, which is again entirely false. Three, the labeling of BDS as being anti-Semitic and so on, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. So we know that our allies and people in solidarity with the Palestinian cause have a lot to, to uh, stand up to. And uh, they do risk a lot when they uh, very courageously stand up for Palestinian rights. But it's happening more and more often. And uh, it's becoming part of a language, this taboo of never mention Palestine or the Palestinian cause is no longer uh, there. It is no longer putting the lid on any type of political discourse or rights discourse when it comes to Palestine. Now, uh, this is happening. 
So when there is solidarity, when people work together, when the Black Lives Matter movement works along with the women's movement, along with the, uh, uh, all uh, other minorities, with the indigenous people's movement, with the, the human rights people who are acting uh, on these principles, with Jewish organizations that are challenging Netanyahu's and Israel's attempt to, to say that they have a monopoly on the Jewish voice and saying, no, this is not us, this is not who we are. So this is the type of solidarity that when we work together, we cannot be intimidated or defeated. There has to be a link, a link up uh, between uh, or among these like-minded groups uh, uh, and, and people uh, of color and people who, uh, indigenous people and so on, as I said, the LGBTQ. There are so many organizations who share these objectives and principles. And since we are part of the conversation, I think it's important for whatever administration to listen. Particularly now, the Democrats have to listen to the progressives, and they're not. And that's a serious mistake. And they're attempting to uh, rebuild this unquestioning, blind alliance between Israel and the US. This, is, uh, this shouldn't happen, or uh, in the West, particularly when uh, accusations of, of anti-Semitism are so easy to, to hand out. And these labels are stuck uh, like post-its on people's heads. No, th this is important, but it's also important to mobilize and with their own representatives to, to uh, speak up because parliaments and Congress and so on are taking decisions relating to foreign policy and they are allowing Israel to get away with what it's doing. So when uh, parliaments uh, speak out, when you question your representative, of whatever party, and when you hold your country accountable as to what you do, selling weapons to Israel or even buying weapons from Israel, cooperating with the settlements and settlement products, and so, these things uh, are now beginning to be questioned by the public and, the, and through them by the parliament and, and by Congress and so on. We, we don't have a majority support in, in uh, the U.S. and U.S. Congress, but there are very clear and qualitative uh, and, and persuasive voices in Congress that are now speaking out, uh, and and they are remarkable. We we follow them, we we value them, we uh, uh, they give us encouragement, and we encourage them. But at the same time, also in Europe, the parliaments in Europe have taken more advanced position than the government, and the governments not even listen to the parliament when it comes to the Palestinians and when it comes to Palestinian rights, whether in recognition of statehood or in holding Israel to account or in providing means of protection uh, for Palestine. So I would say it's important to organize, to work together, to question your representatives, to educate uh, people, to stand up and speak out. Uh, because uh, for too long, the Palestinian narrative has been silenced and or distorted. And the truth must come out, and it must move people to affect uh, decision makers. And uh, it, it seems to me, once this becomes clear, that there is no uh, preferential treatment, there is no uh, state or country or people who have greater value and privileges and rights than anybody else. And that the Palestinians, all we need is for, for them to say the Palestinians are equal to everybody else and they have equal rights. And that international law applies and international humanitarian law applies. 
and the 14th Geneva Convention applies and human rights laws apply, and that Israel, like any other country, has to be held to account. And they cannot continue with this lethal uh, policy that is not just attempting to destroy the Palestinians, but attempting to destroy the, the stability and security of the whole region and wreaking havoc in the global rules-based system because they don't believe in it and they don't uh, participate in it unless uh, it gives them a free hand. So, yes, I, I mean, I cannot give specific advice. I know they're mobilizing, I know they're organizing, I follow a lot of the activities, as I'm sure you do, Owen, and I think it is encouraging and we should be in touch together so they should have access to the facts, to what's happening, and uh, to uh, have a, a shared a narrative and a presentation that is compelling and persuasive and truthful. Hanan, thank you so, so much for joining us and for speaking in such depth. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Owen. It's my pleasure to talk to you or to be with you in this conversation and all the more power to you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Help us decide who we talk to, what we talk about, the documentaries we do, uh, and also on the supporter function, uh, which you can see in the description. And leave us five stars and a review. It just helps other people listen. Uh, and with that, thank you so much. Speak soon. 